morning, Granite Creek. I hope everyone's doing well today. I am, so I hope you guys are too. <laughs> um, I'm Megan Robles, as you probably don't know <laughs> if you haven't met me. Um, I work back in the AV department, and I also volunteer for Kid Care. <laughs> so today, I'm here to um, read the scripture for today, for today's message, or yes, sermon message. Yeah, sorry. Um, so if you want to open up your Bibles, we'll be in Revelations chapter 21, verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Thank you, and welcome up Pastor Josh. Thank you, Megan. Isn't she awesome? Okay, one little thing. So she brought her Bible. This is the sweetest thing. But inside of her Bible was a cell phone that she could read the scriptures off of. Isn't that like the sweetest thing in the world? And I love it because it illustrates a value for the Word of God. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have my book, but I need my right, I need the right translation. So I'm gonna put my phone inside of my Bible. I absolutely love it. Uh, incidentally, next week is a Youth Sunday. So they're taking over the church again. Pastor Mandy will be speaking. Really excited. We did this in the, in the spring. They did such an amazing job. We're like, we need to get them to do that again. So yeah. Mandy's on next week. It's going to be a good Sunday. All right. Let's open in prayer. Uh, the situation in Afghanistan is still heavy on my heart, and I'd like to pray, pray specifically for the families of the lost soldiers. That one, that one's tough. So, would you bow your heads? Let's let's pray for those that are grieving right now. Heavenly Father, God, we lift up those who are in the grieving process for losing their sons and their daughters to war. We ask that the peace of God will transcend their situation, their pain, their anger. I pray right now that they'll be comforted by the only thing that can bring them comfort right now, and that is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. We pray for the local church in Afghanistan, the underground church. God, we thank you that it is increasing. It's actually growing exponentially. Keep them safe. May your kingdom continue just to outpour in that region, continuing to be a light in the dark place. And may the church of Jesus Christ be the answer that the world needs for failed politics. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Growing up, let's go back to the 70s and the 80s, late 70s and 80s. That's when I was a kid. <laughs> I got some laughs, huh? <laughs> it is. There's some time there. My parents, like, I don't know what was going on, but occasionally my parents would drop me off at Grandma and Grandpa's and leave me there for a long time. You know what? I don't know, and I don't want to know. I just know that I got dropped off. Spend the day, sometimes spend the night at Grandma's house. There wasn't a whole lot to do back then. There were no iPads or cell phones. There wasn't even a remote control. You had to actually get out of the couch and you know, turn the knob. And there wasn't a whole lot of TV shows to watch. And, they were, and Grandma and Grandpa had a black and white TV. I remember when they upgraded to the color. And we still had to watch Robert Schuller. <laughs> so that was my life. And in the summertime, again, when I got stranded at Grandma and Grandpa's house, Grandpa would make me go to work with him. And I would have to either sit in his office or wander around the sanctuary. And this is an amazing thing that he did. Like, he would actually go to work and pray 
Like this man prayed a lot. And when he wasn't praying, he was reading or studying something in the scriptures. And so those are my memories of him as a, as a young boy in his church office or in the sanctuary, stranded there, bored out of my mind. But I remember, and you've heard me say this quote before, and now you're going to know where it comes from. On, on his desk, he had this plaque, and this plaque said, I thank God that I am so exceedingly humble. So if you've ever heard me quote that before, that's where it, came, it comes from. My mental image of that plaque being on his, on his desk. Fond memories of being in a sanctuary. The church was called Faith Tabernacle in West Los Angeles. Thursday night, I was in Los Angeles in that area uh, at a meeting, and it was getting late, and I looked on Waze. You guys know what Waze is? And I figured out how long it was going to take me to get home. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I have made it so far without sinning this entire week. And I don't want to blow it by sitting in that traffic. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm not getting in that traffic. I don't know. I mean, it takes me five minutes to get to work. I don't know how all you guys that commute, I don't know how you do it. No wonder you need Jesus every week. I could not, I could not do that. So anyway, I'm like, I'm not doing it. There's no way. I'm going to burn some time. I'm not going to sit in traffic. So I got dinner out there, and then I'm like, I wonder if granddad's church is still around. So I Googled it. Still there. So I drove over, and in my mind, again, this is late 70s and 80s, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, man, this poor church. I can't believe it's still standing, but it's probably, because it was like one of these old A-frame buildings built in the, in the 50s and 60s. I'm just thinking to myself, oh, man, this is going to be depressing. And I pull up. There's a brand new sign. There's a fresh coat of paints. They've kept up on landscaping. The grass was mowed. They got rid of some of those ugly old stained glass windows. They've, they kept the place upgraded. They kept it new. They kept it, they kept it fresh. Now, I didn't get to go in because it was locked up. But, oh, man, I wanted to get in there. And I looked online, and they had done some upgrades and refreshing of the building, and they made it new and relevant. And... Well, obviously, because my grandfather's been with the Lord for years, but they had new pastors. And once where this place was an all-white church, it's now an all-black church. I was so encouraged. It's like God did something new. It's still called Faith Tabernacle. It's still a part of Assemblies of God. But I was just like, yay, God. They didn't let this place fall apart. God always does something new. We're having a hard turn right now. We've spent in the series that we've been in, everything that you need to know, you learned in Sunday school. A majority of this series has been spent in the OT, the Old Testament. And today we're moving into the new. Now hear me. The Old Testament is just old. It's not irrelevant. It's, it's not the word. I mean, it, it is the word of God. It's not anything less than the New Testament. But what you need to get is that you can't have a New Testament without an Old Testament. They work together where some theologians, they just want to toss out the Old Testament because it's old. For us, it's gospel. It tells the story. It shows us who we are. It illustrates who God is and that we need him. So you need an Old Testament. 
But today we're talking about the new. God is doing a new thing. It is, it's a fresh thing. One of the things that you see in church life, you see the story of people begin to unfold when they come to salvation, when they, when they come to the foot of the cross. Everybody ends up here. Everybody ends up at the foot of the cross. The Lord has his way of gently leading us to this point. We all have to deal with the cross at some point in our lives. You have to deal with the truth of it, the reality of what God has done for us. The scriptures say that every knee will bow and eventually every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's inevitable. Everyone is led to the cross. But a lot of people just get stuck there. A lot of people, all they do is they just end up at the foot of the cross. But did you know that the Lord is calling us beyond the cross? Now, what I'm getting at here is that we get fixated on our own failures and our own sin. We think that that is our identity, that that is our calling, that we are sinners saved by grace. My message, I believe, is gospel message, which is, yeah, that's true. That is the foot of the cross. But beyond the cross is the truth of the gospel, which states that you are saints that we occasionally sin. I would have gotten that car on, 10, on the 10 freeway at 5 o'clock in the evening. I would have been sinning. <laughs> Thank God for my humility. Sinless week. Should be so proud of me. Entire week. You know, just, I should stop, right? <laughs> so we're talking about the newness. Again, we get stuck focusing on all these things that we did in the past. The cross is vital. There's a reason why we take communion, and so that it reminds us of the price that Jesus paid for the forgiveness of our sins. Yeah, but he doesn't want us there all the time. Because we, we've been called into a new identity. Not only uh, are we being trans, transferred, built anew, transformed into a new creation. We are no longer sinners. Jesus calls us friends. Amen? He calls us a friend, which is mind-boggling. And it gets even better than that. Now, not only does he just call us friends, he calls us brothers and sisters. He is inviting us into the family. It, it, it's absolutely incredible this new thing that Jesus offers. In the series, we started off with, of course, Adam and Eve and the fall. We took a lot of time talking about the fall because it's important. And we talked about, obviously, these two characters. You can just blame them for everything. If you need a scapegoat, just blame Adam and Eve. But then there's also this guy. All right, so who's this? It's a snake. And day one, we introduced the little snake as the evil one himself, the serpent of old, right? So this is, this is the devil, and he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. And then the prophecy rang out the day of, the solution was automatically presented, which was he will strike his heel, Eve's descendants heal, and you will crush his head. He will crush his head. So he's going to stomp on this thing's head and destroy it completely. And if you're following along in, in the series as we are going through the Old Testament, we don't we 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 haven't heard from this guy until now. Like there is 
there's hardly any mention of the devil at all. I mean, we could have gotten into the book of Job where he's highlighted, but he is not a part of the story. At least not on the surface. There are hints and there's clues throughout the Old Testament, but for the most part, the devil is behind the scenes. He's pulling the strings. He has not manifested himself in public. He has not been revealed as the one that is the true enemy. He is the one that whispered lies and the children of Israel as they're wandering through the desert saying, Man, Moses is an idiot. Don't trust him. He's leading you out here to humiliate you so that you will die. Don't trust him. He is the one that whispered in king's ears saying, yeah, Yahweh's pretty good. But you know who's better? Are all these little foreign gods. They're much sexier. Asherah, Moloch. If you really want to tap into some power, invite these guys into the temple. He is the one that whispered lies inside of God's children's ears behind the scenes. And they fell prey to who he is. (coughs) You know the story of the nativity. Don't have time to get into that. But Jesus is now on the scene. The serpent crusher is now a part of the narrative. God is doing a new thing, an exciting thing. And at the day of Jesus' coronation, the day that he is baptized, Heaven literally opens up and God the Father begins to speak and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. And we have the very first snapshot of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, God the Father and Jesus, all right there with heaven opened up. Like When I go and be with the Lord, I'm going to the big old giant video store, and this is the one I'm checking out. Like, this is the one I want to see. Well, there's there's a lot of them I want to see, but I want to see this. And Jesus is led into the desert, and who does he talk to? This guy. We have like a showdown. We have the, the revealing, the unveiling of the enemy of God. Satan himself is having a battle with Jesus in the desert. He had to come out of the woodwork. Does that make sense? He's like, oh my goodness, Jesus is here. Uh, I, <clears throat> you know, I, if you want something right, you got to do it yourself. And so Satan shows up to discourage and to derail the gospel. And of course he fails. But what I want you to see is that until then, until Jesus had revealed him, he was always working behind the scenes. And it is also his strategy to this day. You have friends, you have neighbors, you yourself, where the enemy of God is working behind your scenes. He's putting negative thoughts into your mind. He's giving you doubts. He's giving you fears, suspicions. They're all coming in. You have friends and neighbors like they don't know the Lord. They're completely clueless. They just, you know, they don't they don't know that they're lost. They don't know that they need a savior. And for the most part, he's already got them. He's he's kind of leaving them alone. But you and I, it's a little different game. It's on like Donkey Kong. The enemy of God wants to derail you. He wants to take you from your mission and your purpose. Spiritual warfare takes place. In the spiritual realm, the souls of believers. And so when Jesus comes into your heart, he is going to highlight and shine a light upon what the enemy has done and what the enemy is doing and what the enemy wants to do in your future. That is why, church, we need discernment. You have to have it. And so when we're talking about getting stuck at the cross, like we need to go there again. <clears throat> that's what Sabbath Sunday is for. 
Sabbath Sunday is going to the cross. But on Monday, you need to leave it and you need to walk into glory, into victory, into power. You need to walk into the kingdom of God where the enemy has no reign over your life. That every thought you think is protected, every action you take is inspired by the Lord. There is a newness for absolutely everyone. Even those that have been walking with the Lord for a very long time. He's always doing something new. It is probably illegal for us to be bored as Christians. If we are saying, ah, Pastor Josh always preaches the gospel. I know that story. I've heard that message. I know Jesus came and died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Been there, done that. Like if that's if that's what you hear and that's your attitude, then that's um, that's your sign to invite somebody that hasn't heard this message. Because it's central. The gospel message of, of Jesus Christ, it has to be in every message we preach. It's central. And kingdom is central for the mature believer. Saying, I am a sinner saved by grace, and each and every day he is transforming me into something better. I like to say it this way. At the foot of the cross, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but he is transforming into a saint that occasionally sins. That needs to be the new identity. You are called to sainthood, and occasionally you mess up. But on Monday and Tuesday, you're not going to mess up as much as you did the, the previous week on Thursday and Friday. We are choosing a new life in him. Where we're walking closer and closer to him each and every day. All right, before we get into the notes, you want to hear a funny story? All right, so back to my grandpa's church in West Los Angeles. This man could preach. He was fiery. Like, he was a Pentecostal preacher. Even at that, he still had the ability to put people to sleep in church. Even, even at that, when he was preaching the gospel message, people's minds went other places, like lunch. And in Los Angeles back in the day, there was a restaurant, a barbecue place called Chris and Pets. Anybody remember that? Yeah, okay. Now, my mom is probably about as straight-laced that you could possibly get, right? Very proper. She's got it together. Um, she's straight-laced. She's just straight. I love her. <laughs> got a woo back there. <laughs> My aunts and uncles, not so much. They're on the naughty list, like all the time. And so they were, you know, as tortured pastor's kids that had to sit through service all the time and then have to go out to lunch afterwards. <laughs> okay, this is, I'm just lightening the mood because everything's so heavy that these days. And mom and dad aren't here so I can tell this story. They're <laughs> what's that? They're, they're not watching it, I guarantee. They're on an airplane right now. That's why I'm telling it. I guess they could watch it later. But. So, my naughty aunts and uncles used to call <laughs> Chris and Pitts piss and grits. <laughs> and it used to make Grandpa so mad. He used to get mad. He's like, you kids straighten up. You and they were just a little naughty. Actually, I think my aunt, my aunt and uncle do watch. So, <laughs> Hi, Steve. <laughs> 
Hi, Aunt Judy. And so one day, Granddad was preaching his fiery sermon, and he says, you folks aren't listening to me. You don't care about the gospel. The only thing that you care about is what you're going to eat at Piss and Grits. (laughs) Now, he didn't mean to say that, but because his kids were constantly calling it that, and because he was constantly getting mad at them, Those lies from the enemy got planted into his mind and they took root. So we need need a new language. We need a new way to think. We need to speak differently. And Jesus gives us, he gives us a new life. How does he do it? There's three things that Jesus gives us. First and foremost, and the most mysterious something that I cannot preach into or teach. I can't show you how to do this. This is between you and the Lord. Like, when you hit your knees, when you are at the foot of the cross, maybe when you're at the lowest of lows and you've hit rock bottom, or maybe when you realize for the very first time that everything that you've been blessed with is a gift from God. What God gives us, the new thing, then the most important thing that he gives us is a new heart. He's going to give you a new heart. Your heart stinks. His heart is awesome. And he gives you a new one. And it's not the heart that you see on Valentine's Day. It's not the lovey, gushy, emotional heart. It's actually it's opposite of that. The heart... Have you ever heard this saying? We need to get through the heart of the issue. Have you ever heard of that? What is the heart of the issue? And this is what God is saying to us. What is the heart of Kim? What's the heart, Josh? Let's get down to the very core of what is going on. What is the heart here? Is the heart hard? Or is it a heart of flesh? We've all been born with a hard heart. But God gives us a new heart. Ezekiel says, Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. Amen. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What an incredible new toy to get. It is a new heart that encompasses and houses the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that came down at Jesus' baptism and descended upon him is now setting up shop and living inside of your heart home. He gives you a new one. What does that look like for you? Do, Do you have a heart of flesh or do you have a heart of stone? Here's some unfortunate, uncomfortable truth. You can be at the foot of the cross. Drawn there. And yet still have a heart of stone. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that gives you the heart of flesh. Go beyond the cross. Go into the presence of God. Be be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus also is going to give you a new mind. This is so key. This is so crucial. Because the enemy of God is twisting and warping and pushing constantly on your mind we're thinking toxic unhealthy thoughts at sometimes constantly we're constantly bombarded with issues dilemmas problems and if we're not guarding our heart and our mind in christ jesus those things can take root and be a poison to our souls I'm into Philippians right now. It's actually a really good book to read when things are hard. When life seems difficult, when you're feeling stressed or or even persecuted, uh, read Philippians. It's considered the joy book. If you need some happiness, if you need some joy in your life, go after Philippians. Here's the ironic thing is that Philippians was written under distress and pressure. 
while Paul was in prison in a really, really bad situation, and he writes this masterpiece, Philippians. And this is what he says about the mind. Now, in your relationships with one another, when you're dealing with issues, when you're dealing with people, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. we got to think like Jesus. He is calling us into a relationship, again, that is familiar, meaning that he wants us to think like him, have his mind, act like him, talk like him, walk like him, maybe have long hair. Not sure if Jesus had long hair. Have long hair, wear ropes. No, I'm not, just kidding. No, we need to have his mind, and we need to relate to one another as if we were in the very character and nature of Christ himself. That's the ultimate goal. That's maturity. That's why we don't stop at the cross. That's why we move into Christ-likeness. We're acting like him and behaving like him. And then this, I love Romans 12 too. This is vital for us to get. Considering everything that is taking place in this present evil age, all the static, all the news, all the opinions, all the angles, the culture itself. All right. I went here first service. It felt okay. I'm going to do it again. Our culture itself is antichrist. And so in that environment that is antichrist, there are frequencies that are being broadcasted from within our own cultural bandwidth that is literally messing with our minds. And let's think about the snake. He's the one that's pulling all the strings, and he's still doing it. He actually has no authority to do so, but he's like a bad tenant that we can't evict yet. It's the church's responsibility to evict him, but he's been served the papers. The cross is the, the legal eviction notice. We won the battle. Let's just kick the guy out. So we need to kick him out of our hearts and our minds first. We need to quit listening to the static that the world is producing because it is the, princi the principality of the, of the air. Romans says this, don't conform to the pattern of the world. Don't conform to it. Don't listen to it. Don't, don't think that wisdom comes from the world. But be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your minds. This is so vital. We all have to have transformation. But transformation takes place in the mind. We've got to work on this first. Filter out all the negative, negative, negativity and begin just to put our mind on who Jesus is, what he's called us to do, and how we can act and be more like him. That is transformation, is the renewing of the mind. <clears throat> then you'll be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Each and every time somebody's confused about what God's will is, they're, they're victims of their own minds. They don't know what they want. They don't know where God's leading them. They continue in a, they're, they're in a negative headspace all the time. And because of that, there is no transformation. Third thing that Jesus gives us, you get this, but this is the message for your friends and your family that are lost. Now, they're lost. They have no idea they have no idea that their hearts are desperately wicked. Most people have no idea that they have a hard heart because they haven't been around Jesus. They haven't been in the presence of God. They, they're clueless to the condition and the attitude of their heart. They don't realize that they need a, they, they need a Savior. A lot of people don't realize they need a Savior. Some, most people think that they might even be good people, but you and I know better. So the world doesn't really necessarily desire a heart of flesh because that's, in their opinion, that's not going to get them anywhere. A hard heart is what gets them what they want. And most people outside of the faith are so indoctrinated into the patterns of this world 
that they think that the way that they think is the way that everybody thinks, and they think that there's nothing wrong with the way that they're thinking. Is that really confusing? <laughs> they have no idea that their minds are twisted and warped. They think it's normal. So they have no idea that they need a renewing of the mind. They don't have a need for a renewing of the mind. They don't have a need for a heart of flesh. But you know what they do need? And they know that they need it. What they're crying out for is they need a family. They need a place to belong. They need a purpose. One of the events, uh, pastor confession time, one of the events that, that we do annually at Granite Creek is um, the Thanksgiving Day dinner. It's a great event. Once, when I was in administrative mode, administrative mode is trying to solve problems, and I'm like, oh, okay, we need to cut the budget. We need to cut the budget. We need to scale back on stuff. We can't afford things right now, so let's start cutting. Okay, just so you know, that's like not a kingdom mindset, by the way. That's a poverty mindset. That's the saying that we don't have, so that we're not going to do what God's called us to do. That's that's poverty mindset. Enemy of God. And so I had this bright idea that we would cut the Thanksgiving Day dinner. Why? It's because I didn't want to have to spend money on the carpet cleaners the next day because, okay, who should I throw under the bus today? Uh... Mark, because Mark spilled gravy on the carpet. And now we have to spend 500 bucks to have the carpets clean. It's all Mark's fault. And so administrative mind says, no, we cut this. No, when, when I went there, all, like, there was such an amazing pushback. Like, don't you understand the value and the importance of the Thanksgiving meal for our church family? We have to have this. Now, this wasn't said, but I could read between the lines. Pastor Josh, I don't, I don't have a family like yours. My father's not a godly father, and my aunts and uncles, they're not that great. So when I go to Thanksgiving Day dinner, Uncle Bob and Uncle John, they get drunk, and they argue about politics the whole time, and I hate it. It's a toxic, horrible environment. I feel more at home when I'm at Thanksgiving Day dinner with my church family. This is the sanctuary that I need. And that illustrates that the world needs you. They need you not only to tell them about the gospel, but to be a spiritual father and a spiritual mother, a spiritual brother, a spiritual sister, just to basically do what Jesus did did for his, his disciples and did thus for us. The world needs a family. And this is what Jesus gives us. We've been following along. We've been talking about the children of Israel. Their journey. Their promise. They are God's chosen people, right? They have a special, unbreakable covenant with God. We all, all of us Gentiles should be jealous. And yet, listen to this scripture. Romans eleven seventeen. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles, that's us. We're all a bunch of happy Gentiles. Amen? And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree. Wild. Not a part of this original covenant. Have been grafted in. That means... To be grafted in means that somebody has got to go to a tree, stab a hole in the tree, take the new branch, cram it into that hole, put some vitamins on it, and then it begins to bear fruit. That's us. 
We are grafted in. We are literally grafted in to this covenantal family. It, it's, an, it's an amazing deal. We have been grafted in. So now you will also receive the blessings that God has promised Father Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. We get in. We get in. And so you can be an Abraham. You can be a Sarah to somebody. Inviting them in to your family unit. Landon, come on up to the front. This is what you need to know. Everybody gets called to the foot of the cross. But we're just not called to stay there. We're going to be receiving communion during the benediction. Once again, we'll be doing that until otherwise noted. That is to remind us of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But my friends, there's a bigger picture. There is a newness of life. Jesus came and he says, I have come that you may live a new life and live it to the full. A fullness of life. I don't necessarily know what that looks like for everyone. And quite honestly, it's probably what you don't expect. Your idea of a full life is probably completely different than what God's idea of a full life is. But I guarantee you, his plan is a lot better than your plan. And his fullness is actually satisfying. Where our fullness can be an empty black heart. We're going to receive a second offering. This is a seed offering. This is what we're doing right now, just to proclaim the gospel message in our community. We are receiving, if I could have the ushers come to the front, we're receiving this offering as something that you can see as a target. Something that you can sow into and invest a seed offering. It will go towards the carpet cleaner when Mark spills the gravy on the carpet. More importantly, it's going to I shouldn't say more importantly. Equally importantly, it's going to go towards our Fall into Fun outreach where we're inviting families and kids into our church family. And there's something new going on. There's always something new. This year, we are setting up our Fall into Fun booth at Claremont's Village Venture. Jim LeJudice has designed a whole new shooting gallery that's going to be like super cool. And we're setting it up at the Village Venture to invite the community home. That's what this offering's for. In addition to that, it is also to make sure we continue to do our living nativity, where in this city we boldly declare the virgin birth and the divinity of Jesus Christ. We do it in a new way each and every year. It will be new this year. I can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like, but it will be awesome. So this is what we're sowing into. just want to give you some targets to hit at. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for grafting us in. And as our fruit produces seed, God, we, we plant a seed in your vineyard. And your word is true that there will always be a return. I pray that you'll bless the seed offering to its fullest extent. Bless everyone here. I pray that you will reveal to them not only what the enemy of God has been doing, but also, more importantly, what you are doing in their lives. Reveal to them what you are doing, the new thing you are doing. We pray for this courage in your name.
to shake the stone was rolled away it's perfect love could not be overcome oh death where is your sting our resurrected king has rendered Grab your, grab your elements. We're going to receive communion. For those of you that are watching online, take a second and go get yourself a cracker and some juice. And when Jesus' body was broken, it says it was broken for our provision. In the desert, you know that God rained down bread from heaven. And Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. This morning, when you receive the body of Christ, his provision, think of it as receiving the body of Christ and that you're going to have the mind of Christ that you're going to take on his body and you're going to begin to think like he does, speak like he does, act like he does, walk like Jesus does. He wants you to become the body of Christ. And that is why we eat the bread from heaven. Because from his body comes everything that we need in this present evil age. It is good food. And it transforms you with the renewing of your mind to walk the walk you need to walk. Receive the body of Christ. If I would have got on that 10 freeway earlier this week, I would have needed to drink from the cup. Every single one of us has done something really, has done something that they shouldn't have done this week. The scriptures say that without the shedding of innocent blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So right now we're at the foot of the cross dealing business realizing that Jesus is offering us this cup, and it's new. This is what we call the new covenant. And it's good. And I want you to see this so clearly this morning. This is a good, happy, joyful cup. This is a party cup. This is new. It's fresh. You're going to leave here transformed. All the weight of previous sins and failures, they're like they're just going to get sucked right into that cross. They're not on you anymore. So let's just let them go. Drink the cup of life. Lahaim. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the work that you've done on the cross and that you have grafted us into your family and your body. And you prayed this blessing over your children, and you pray it over us today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he continually to cause his face to shine upon you, to be gracious towards you, 
turn towards you in your times of need, to give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, to give you a, the mind of Christ instead of a perverse mind. And may he give you rest and peace and joy inside of his forever family. God bless you guys. Have an incredible week. Hope to see you soon.